Hello and welcome to Season 4. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. Well, we're just about to go into uh, my next interview, our next episode with someone who, well, you'll get to hear, I kind of know, but don't very know very well. But when you get to hear about their background, it's one of those things you go, oh no, this is very, very helpful. And what I mean by that, this is goes beyond social action and it looks into the whole area of wholeness, wellness, shalom and all of those things. Stuff that we love, but we are always asking the question, how do we do it? So let's go into this conversation now and uh, take it from there. Well, we are now with my next guest, and it is with great delight that I am with a friend of mine who um, I don't know very well, but every time we see each other, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's quite lovely. And um, we're with John Kurtz. And um, yeah, I did just say to him just previously, I said, yeah, you're one of the knowns. <laughs> um, which is true. Some people might know him. But there's a whole bunch of you are going, no, he's an absolute random. And that's okay. Absolutely. I'm sure there are many people here. I was invited to a conference a few years ago yeah. uh, by someone who was under the misapprehension that I was a lot better known than I am. And he literally <laughs> stood up in front of about 300 people and said, I'm really excited because we've got John Kurt here to speak to us. And he said it with this clear anticipation of a whoop and a yeah. applause. And it was just like absolute, um, what's that word called when tumbleweed, you know, it was a complete <laughs> tumbleweed moment. And someone put their hand up and said, uh, I know his brother. Does that count? <laughs> and that proved to be the highlight. And he, the, the bloke had invited me, was a bit sort of disappointed with me. And I said, well, I never told you I, anyone knew me. That's the only, amazing. The only person who, who was happy about the whole thing was my wife, who thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Isn't it amazing with wives they always are upon us they always always they level us it's like uh, my kids they are so unimpressed by me <laughs> i always think i'm amazing of course um but they're like no you're pretty naff <laughs> and uh no and i'm pretty much i think probably the most humble person i've ever met as well <laughs> um, you know, which, which adds to my, you know, range of skills. The, which, which of course is the most ridiculous thing because that is exactly what Trump said. And the Lord bless you and may his light continue to shine upon you. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, lovely to be with you, Matt. Thanks for the kind words. And it's very nice to be invited here. It's, it is a, it's a gas. It's a who. I know you and I, we are for listeners, um, um, wondering when do we are doing this? It is the end of the week. It's Friday we are done so this might be a really quick conversation or it might be a rambling mess who knows who cares but anyway john kurtz i have no idea whether or not you have a rev or a doctor or a phd or an ma an mba a, a B, msi or anything like that at the end of your name or, or the beginning um tell the world means. nothing none of the above tell the world who you are where you come from what you did what you do and um let's go from there that's great. Well, um, I live in South London in Streatham uh, with my wife and we've got three teenage children. 
Um, I've been working for the last 30 years with homeless people, essentially. Um, wow. So that's been my kind of life calling, really. Um, and so uh, just up until recently, I was an advisor in the rough sleeping team in the government. Uh, and that was uh, a great kind of four years, really. I was seconded in from a job working for the West London Mission, which is part of the Methodist Church. Mm. And uh, so I did that. And I've just joined Hope Into Action, who are a Christian charity working with homeless people, uh, offering homes in, in partnership with churches to people who would otherwise be homeless. Amazing. So that's me. Uh, that's very good. So... Um you and i we connected um i i'd uh it was around the homelessness conversation and we were interested doing stuff with cinnamon and with other bits and pieces about saying well maybe short government someone said oh yeah there's this bloke called john kurt i genuinely know, have no idea who it was and it might have been jenny sinclair jenny's one of those like high good connector isn't she oh my goodness she's yeah. just phenomenal um and she has been on our podcast just to the listeners have a listen it was super interesting and fun but um you say that your life calling for the past 30 years has been to work with homeless people and bits and pieces mm. that is really unique what got you into it and what kept you going well, you say it's unique. I mean, one of the things within the church is that there's there's a huge number of people who've who've had a similar calling. And one of the best witnesses to the Christian faith, I think, in the in this world is, is how many organizations have been set up by churches and by Christians over the years. So, I mean, I started I remember I had a job when I was 18. I left school and I had a job as a cleaner. I had to be up at the Strand at 7 a.m. Wow. This, this was 1990. Uh, Gaza, England, just uh, lost in the World oh, Cup semi-final. All that kind of era. day. But I'll never forget when I was eighteen. I was so shocked by the number of rough sleepers uh, around Charing Cross and on the Strand and the Embankment, and that really had an effect on me. And I decided to go and study social work uh, up in Hull University. Yeah, um, and. I think that was the start of a journey. Um, I, I got a job um, with the Shaftesbury Society. Uh, yes. Were, were, you know, a great organisation, uh, Christian social action work. They ran a hostel in Camberwell. So at quite a young age, really. I was 20 at the time. Mm. Um, I started working in this hostel and it just taught me a huge amount. I come from, uh, I'm, my dad's a vicar. We, I grew up uh, in sort of suburban Croydon uh, in a, a very comfortable, lovely area. Um, yeah yeah so the decisions to get involved in that side of the work were, were challenging and it was a different side of the tracks than i grew up in really yeah but it's been uh really fulfilling and exciting and especially i think maybe what we'll get onto is this fusion of social action uh with uh witness to faith witness to faith in jesus you know, that's yeah. the bit that really excites me and that's what sustains me that's one of the questions you asked mm. um, a spirituality that that challenges us to engage with people on the margins mm. uh, which to offer hope and help but then also which really sustains us personally uh, which offers yeah. us grace and sustenance for that journey you know that combination um is is what's kept me going and i think that's true for generations of sort of activists really that yeah um, their personal uh relationship with jesus 
is what's resourced them for social activism. Uh, and I think that's yeah. a that's something that you know I want to really remain true to. You know. Yeah, yeah. The the way that the church has been responding to the homeless question, you know, it is it's not a new thing. You know, we we've been doing it since. Um, probably the conception of the church, dare I say it. And it's something that's probably been inherited from um, uh, a Jewish uh, a tradition of of taking in the, the strangers and the homeless and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and so, so now we are in an environment where we had the pandemic, winter night shelters were no longer a thing. We had, everybody was housed. And um you don't like work for the government anymore so we can speak yeah speak as it is i'm a free um, man yeah um the the numbers of of the homeless people versus what was stated to versus what really was they didn't always add up and the amount of support that was uh, um originally there from government when it came to winter night shelters then then shifted to having a different solution to support these in these people for early intervention prevention um that's been challenging hasn't it yeah it's a very complicated picture and you know i think you know everyone the uh, stats and, and especially political stats uh, are always controversial and the yeah. rough sleeping counts that are done every november are mm. definitely in that category I think that um, what I think the process by which the counts are done is quite clear, and it, and and often you know all the ones I was involved in were done with real integrity, but yeah. they're a snapshot count. So this is really important that that yeah. and they've just been released last last week or this week. The numbers have come out from that snapshot count in November, and yeah. so. It's, they've got a process, but ever since 2010, you go out onto the street with a team of people in the local area and you you count the people who are found, um, often with outreach teams and with lots of charities who know the area. But it's a snapshot. Yeah. And what you find is that on any one night, there's about one third of the total number who will sleep rough in any one month. So oh, that's interesting. If you count, and this is pretty consistent across the country, if you can, if you go out in your town and you count ten rough sleepers on any one night, it's probably likely that within the month, probably around thirty will have slept rough. Yeah. So that accounts for why the numbers always look lower than what and what really think. is. Yeah. And again, if you run a day center for homeless people, you're going to get a whole load of people coming in who yeah. may occasionally sleep rough or but maybe sofa surfing maybe in kind of all kinds of different situations and mm, mm. um, and then you've got an even wider group of people who very much look homeless who might be mm -hmm. drinking in the streets in the parks but who aren't so yeah yeah there's they work in the city layered, <laughs> there's quite a layered understanding and actually the job i had with the government was was great because i was specifically there to liaise between local authorities and churches and faith groups Yes. And to try and work out some understanding. And often yes. the counts came up as a real issue, a point of contention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was explanations like what I just gave that can help kind of, you know, 
bridge some understanding because there are great people who work for local authorities you know they're not just the people who want to kind of just cover up the numbers you know yep. in fact, you know they, they often want to deal in reality um but of course politicians really do care about rough sleeping um, yeah yeah one of the misnomers yeah. is that that politicians don't care about rough sleeping i think they really really do i think arguably they don't care so much about the hidden homeless but the ones who are visible are a real kind of embarrassment and a real mm. struggle for the government. So, you know, the first ever rough sleeping initiative was started off by Margaret Thatcher in 1990. And I That's know about it because it was the subject of my dissertation at university. So, oh, my goodness. You know. That's extraordinary. So it just shows that a prime minister not known for her social compassion uh, really yeah, wanted yeah. to address the amount of rough sleepers going on because it was uh, becoming such an issue. Um, you you won't well you may know this but my listeners will know obviously I have a my great great grandfather um, helped start the Salvation Army with Booth and and so working with people on the fringes is is not a new thing we know that um, I think what's fascinating is is this thing of I think we're very very good at loving people with practical ways um, be it a winter night shelter or creating housing um and mentoring and clothing and fooding and health support and you know, employment support and so on and so forth i think where where we as christians we as the church really get unstuck is knowing how do we then share our faith in a way when often if we're funded we're told no you can't how do you traverse that because most of the time the majority of these people who are, are, are wanting to to love these people to care for these people they do also want to share their faith, yeah, but they're a little bit anxious. How do you guide and counsel on that? Yeah, I, I think I think anxiety is a big um, problem here because I think we really need to be confident, actually. And confidence mm -hmm. is a really good word. My favourite theologian is Leslie Newbigin, and he wrote. Oh yeah, yeah, you're a fan too. Absolutely. And he wrote a book, Proper Confidence, and I think that's really, really helpful kind of perspective to have because confidence means that we you know are confident about our faith in terms of what we believe and that we're prepared not just to have it there as something kind of on a Sunday or personal but something that's really relevant to the social projects that we're running and I think that the majority of projects when they're clear about their perspective and what it means that's the best basis for that being respected um, I think it's really interesting that over the last four years, and especially the pandemic, had a real influence on local authorities really actually respecting faith groups for what they do. Yes. And a lot of the partnerships that are happening now aren't with the kind of traditional, perhaps, or aren't with faith groups that are sort of quiet about their faith. Actually, a lot of the most vibrant work is done by churches that are most upfront about their faith. Um, huh. So it's, I find it really fascinating that because, you know, a lot of organisations like, say, Hope Interaction, where I'm working yeah. now, are very clear about their faith. I mean, very strong in their faith ethos. Yeah. And they have a huge amount of respect from um, a lot of the local authorities we're working with. You know, Ed Walker, the founder of Hope Interaction, got an MBE uh, in the honours last year. Wow. Kathy Moen from Housing Justice got a, an OBE. 
um, yeah, yeah. work during the pandemic that the night shelters did. So I think things are becoming less secular, really. Uh, yes. And there's more appreciation for, for what faith can bring in terms of its impact. But of course, when you're working with vulnerable people, you do need to be really clear about uh, how the faith bit operates. Yeah. You know, people still feel that there are dangers that you're going to be coercive, that you're going to be crowbarring in an agenda. Some pe- yeah. some people even think, oh, well, is your service just for Christians? And of course, there's no wow. there's no night shelter or day centre that operates like that. Yeah. And actually, a lot of these concerns are kind of hangovers, which just need, um, you know, demolishing and, and, and talking through openly, you know, come and have a look at what we do. Um, mm. There was a report in 2013 called Lost and Found by <laughs> a research agency called Lemos and Crane. And it was it was actually it was all about faith and spirituality in the lives of homeless people. Mm. And it was actually written by an atheist. So this isn't Christian propaganda or anything. Gosh. But this report really criticizes what it calls the secular orthodoxy of the homeless sector, because it says matters of faith and belief aren't engaged with when actually the evidence is that they're very important to a lot of homeless people. Because uh, they because essentially what you're saying is, is that faith, which is a value set, which instills faith love joy peace patience it's a sense of um identity worth and belonging yeah absolutely and and of course homelessness is so much more than just houselessness you know Mm. homelessness involves a lot of relationships often severe damage to people's sort of self-perceptions their identity how they see themselves their relationship with themselves and of course issues of hope and of a future of purpose of meaning of forgiveness they're all Mm. profoundly relevant to a lot of people who are struggling so it's not just that we need to defend faith from people who might be a bit prejudiced about you know christians doing this stuff yeah but actually we need to be on the front foot and say actually matters of spirituality and faith are profoundly relevant and actually yeah. can give real answers to some of the the questions that people have and also a linkage to a community which is not a transactional contract based community good it's one of people of reciprocity where you know you can give and contribute to the life of a church you know you're not just a, a recipient of charity but you're 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 someone with agency who can play a role in a community i was talking to a, a, a homeless uh, guy who's uh, living in one of the hope into action houses oh yeah he's had a very very chaotic life very a lot of challenges with mental health and, and drug addiction mm-hmm. and he said he said to me the great thing about the church that that you're linking you you know you've linked me with because he's each house is linked to a church and he said when i turn up there on a sunday i've got all these people like putting their hands up and trying to get me to come and sit with them you know and that just that picture of him coming into a place where he's really welcomed well yeah want him to sit next to them you know clearly that's not his experience in every area of his life i mean that is that's that's a gift brilliant isn't it and 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 it's an example you see where if people have got a lens which oh well faith is something you're imposing in on people 
in some kind of imperialistic way. That's just not true to how things are, actually. You know, people have a, a journey often which involves faith and religion, um, services that want to provide practical help should well be able to offer spiritual services alongside, not to coerce them, not to make them compulsory, but to offer them in a, a, a an energetic and positive and committed way. Um, yeah. And I think they're yeah. the best type of services. You know, the church, social action should not secularise the church. Um, yeah. it, should, it should illustrate what we believe in, the grace and the truth that, that we believe in. So you... You went and did your cleaning job. You saw a lot of people who were homeless. You thought, hold on. You did your so did you did your studies, and then you got involved with um, the West London Mission and stuff like that. Yeah. When did it move from a job to a calling? Mm, that's a really good question. I think that social action um, has all of the agencies I've worked for. Uh, virtually all of them have started in the church and yet they've struggled to hold uh, their faith element together with it so um Shaftesbury society that was a big challenge because of the scale of the operation and lots of people uh, brought in from local authorities on contracts i worked for center point uh, in the west oh, end yeah. Yeah, so yeah. i was working I in soho managing hostels for five years and um that was started off by a vicar uh, open yes that's right script. There's loads of, of those stories. Yeah, Ellen Q. Yeah, and, and, and I think that um, as soon as you're effective in running uh, a, some type of service, often it attracts funding, you, you get more people. I think that's a real struggle point for a lot of projects to, to keep hold of their faith, and especially when, say, they employ people with different beliefs. Um, yeah. And I've I found myself in that mixed zone a lot in my life, actually, of managing a, 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 an organ, a, a service or working like West London Mission was Christian agency because it was part of the Methodist Church. But we employed a really wide range of people. Yeah, so yeah. you have to get used to faith being in that mixed zone. You know, it's not like church where you can kind of use church lingo. Things need to be unpacked and explained. And again, it needs real confidence to kind of keep faith alive. Um, and I found that <clears throat> something of my personal journey probably reflected some of these organisations that when I was at university, I got very involved in a lot of different social action, but my faith withered, really, to be honest. That's interesting. You know? Yeah. And it was because I think the evangelical culture that I was within at that point in the early 90s didn't really affirm social action much okay and i didn't really have some of the reference points that i later learned um i've got a really good friend called corin pilling he uh, he works for i know corin you know corin he's a great guy of course I do. people know corin all you have to do is walk around greenbelt and the whole field knows corin pilling i about. tell you i kid you not yes. that is exactly what happened to me last year i'm walking through it i'm there for 24 hours and there he is i'm just like what are you doing here? Yeah, well, I owe Corin <laughs> a huge amount, um, and but one of the not least because he introduced me to my now wife of twenty one years. Oh my uh, goodness! So he he set us up. So that's another story. Um, yeah, but he was the person who lent me a whole load of books by people like Ken Leach, who was the you know the vicar who set up Centerpoint, 
um, Jim Wallace in America, the, the Sojourners movement. Yeah. Um, uh, Dorothy Day, the Catholic activist. He lent me a whole load of pile of books that actually helped me join my social activism to yeah. this whole tradition. Yeah. Of whether it's evangelical or Catholic, you know, radical thinking. And that yes. made a huge difference to me. And that kind of fused these two things. I knew I wanted to work with homeless people. But I'd up until that point, I'd probably struggled to see how that was biblically rooted and theologically rooted. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. That made all the difference. So, so, what has surprised you then over these past four or five years? Because you, you know that um, with me having having you know been working with Cinnamon, uh, mm. we uh, have been enormous advocates to churches to say, look go and start a social action project one of them would would have been of course housing justice being uh of these um uh winter night shelters yeah. um so and so forth what but but the housing justice have been around for years yeah. they? you know they're, they're ancient what has surprised you most and what do you think are the next big mountains that we need to overcome to make things better mm. Yes, it's been really interesting, I think, in the last sort of 13 years, how replicable models of social action have come to the fore. Mm, mm. Um, so <clears throat> years, you know, 20 years ago, something like FaithWorks was a really big network. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's kind of uh, gone. Um, I think other, there were some big conferences. Church Urban Fund used to have some big conferences and um you know the whole kind of Shaftesbury was quite a big network that I was part of, mm. um, and a lot of those have faded. And what they've been replaced by is the rise of the Chessel Trust and Christians Against Poverty, and these. And Cinnamon's been at the forefront of of promoting those replicable models, mm. Um, mm. and I think that's enabled a lot of people to to get involved uh, more easily. Um, I think that. I think that Christian social action has grown hugely. Uh, it, interestingly, at a time when church attendance has dropped, uh, I remember sitting next to Chris Mull yeah. at a conference in 2004 and him telling me about food banks. And I remember thinking, I said, I'm not sure if that will catch on, you know, <laughs> how wrong I was. Um, but I think so. I think it's grown. And I think the, the emphasis, I think, is how it needs to mature. Um, for example, I'm concerned about the amount of projects that are really just focused on giving things out um, and just sort of giving out resources. Um, I think that some of the really complicated challenges is how we empower people Brilliant. to find their own answers. Um, and I think there's some really interesting learning that's come over from America, especially uh, quite a lot of people will be familiar with books like When Helping Hurts or with mm. Toxic Charity. I think these are important books in the UK context. Um, I'm interested, for example, in the shift for a lot of food banks from food banks to fit to pantry models where yeah. people are paying for food. Just as I'm interested in homelessness moving away from just food distribution yeah, or night shelters, as as you mentioned, to models that are more uh, longer term and more empowering and more transformative. Um, 
And I, I think that's a really important debate. I think we need more conferences where we really deal with some of the, the challenges and the moral complexity of um, just a, a sort of distributive emphasis of social action, giving things out, giving things away. You know, I think it, it can create other challenges, and it does. Um, and I think in America, you see that, that that they've had food banks for years in America. Yeah. Uh, and and there are important challenges. So that's one side, sort of the whole issue of dependency and empowerment, I think is a really key element that needs talking about uh, as much that's, as possible. That is that is so helpful. I, um, I have been a, a so you know this and i think the listeners know when i um when i'm wearing my cinnamon hats because you know i do lots of things as, as as you know um and i would sit and do a triage with a church leader and i you know I'll, I'll go through my various different you know four sections and and you know the the content is you know it's stellar it's gold oh, of course it's <laughs> yeah, brilliant of course of course it would you know i'm amazing <laughs> But I it's do a good say self-assessment for listeners to buy into, you know, yeah. their work <laughs> gold. But I do say to them at the very end, because I, I say, if you've forgotten everything I've said, please just go and set up an extracurricular activity. Because if you can build community that that people can join in where they can start to uh, engage and have something that is a spark to them and they have people around them to encourage them you will start to build in and empower them uh, uh, the life nutrients that they need that can be transferable into every single part of society now, i always say you cannot underestimate a knitter knitting a natter or or a uh, a boys brigade or a, a history club or stargazing or end a football club it doesn't matter just yeah. go and do something that builds community Absolutely. because that's... a lot of those things that are building in um opportunities for people to contribute you know so they're not just passive recipients but they're yeah. engaged and they've got a sense of of agency and that's a bit of a jargony word but it's great jargon just, word yeah and they're not just um they're, they've got strengths and skills and things to draw out and we have to learn that i mean the salvation army even back in the victorian era um they were charging for their soup kitchens um huh. you know they weren't free they were a sort of social enterprise and yeah i find there's learning that we need to engage with so i'm just writing something at the moment about the sins of social action Ooh, that sounds good because yeah because i think that we have to be aware of the radical effect of sin on on all areas of of, of life and yeah. when you're trying to help people sin is crouching at the door really but there's 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 always moral hazards in the forms yeah. of help that we give and that's why we have to be um you know learning from what has been taught through time about things that really do help people and i think empowerment is so fundamental um because you know and for me actually theologically that where it really roots is in, in around grace and truth yeah um, that you know in our efforts to show grace to people and kindness and generosity that's all great and that's what's driven so much christian social action that that drive to to show grace 
Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, in John's gospel, it says Jesus was full of grace and truth. And what I found with homeless people over the years is that that effort to show grace and kindness and give people another chance and to advocate for them and to say yes to them and say, come in, it needs to be coupled with a commitment to truthfulness about their situation. Yeah. You know, the truth about maybe their immigration status or their yeah. addictions or their, as well as their rights that we want to advocate for, they've got responsibilities as people. And I think the best Christian projects that I see hold together grace and truth. So, yes, they are accepting, but they're also willing to ask the hard questions, to challenge people mm, in appropriate mm. ways, um, to, to focus them towards things that will truly change their situation, not just, um, you know, just keep them going. Um, and I think I think you know when I look at something like the twelve step um, movement around, yeah, Hungary, I mean they're places of incredible grace and truth. You know, there's such grace and ex I used to when I was at the West London Mission, a lot of twelve uh, step groups would happen in our basement, and often at lunchtime I'd go and sit in at the AA, the open AA meeting over lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. and I was just so struck by the grace and the truth of it because. There's such grace because people from such different backgrounds are all sitting side by side, you know, whether literally they're film stars yeah. sitting next to homeless people. So it's a real place of grace, but they are relentlessly truthful and honest. And, and I think it's that fusion that is a great example to us in our social action. You know, how can we be, be gracious? Yeah. But how can yeah. we seek to be places of truthfulness? Um, and, you know, that's where Christians got to be really careful about sort of inflating things or maybe talking things up in our bid yeah. for inspiration. We've got to be we've got to be honest uh, and, yeah, keep anchored to truth. That's that's so helpful. I, I, I um, Nat Moody, who came on uh, like months ago and who does the recovery course, and I, I participated in one of them and one of the most beautiful things about that group because everyone's got their story and it's always a sad story it's, always, it's never great <laughs> uh, he says with a laugh but no it, it is that yeah. uh, uh, but as people are sharing their their story of, of their yesterday and then how it's impacted their today every single person around them does something which is absolutely transformational and it just says we're with you you can do this your tomorrow can be better yeah. yeah and i one of the things i've i've come across which i think is something which um i know i i reference valentin chris valentin he says modern day prophecy is encouragement i don't know about you but as the church has been going through a bit of a shift in what it looks like one of the easiest things that people who are not comfortable with how the church is is that they start to moan and they moan about the structure they moan about the people they moan about how it was da, 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 la, la, la. it's just boring out yeah. it's just and i was like that what does that then do to them in their relationship with god and with people and fellowship and growth and seeing the kingdom of god expanding and suddenly realizing that when people moan and they start to talk about when it's not good enough it is in actual fact a form of slander because what they're saying is they're speaking about a person or a situation and they're actually reducing that individual or, or situation or group of people's reputation. They're saying, nah, 
yeah, ain't good enough, which mm. is completely the opposite to the spirit yeah. of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't need any more sort of cynics um, and no. sort of negative voices, and um, and but we do. I think this 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 balance of, of of grace and truth I find perpetually inspiring because I feel it's so what our our country our societies need and my community in Streatham. You know, people do need affirming and encouraging. They need yeah. places of welcome and community. But of course, that isn't just founded on sort of, I don't know, like optimism or just sort of some no. uh, belief in inclusion, which is the sort of dogma of the age. It's, it's, it's on it's something deeper than that. Uh, that God's made us, that we're valuable. And yeah. Yes, we're all scarred and broken and chipped and cracked. Yeah, and it's everyone, and yet we've got a message which is one of a deep affirmation uh, for the for the individual. Yeah, for the personal uh, heart, but which overspills into society, and we want to see everyone being treated respectfully and and their potential uh being uh, honored and and you know ex, you know brought out as much as possible and and so yeah we haven't got time to you know so a lot of the conferences where people are debating and stroking their chins all about forms of <laughs> church and yeah yeah even a lot of theological debate i get quite bored by now really yeah and 20 years ago i used to get involved in all kinds of theological arguments with people yeah now yeah. I'm far more interested in well, what are you doing to put it into practice in your neighbourhood? You know, what does this look like Come in on. your outputs? You know, I go into a Christian bookshop and I get nervous about how much has been written. I think Shane Claiborne said, um, you know, <laughs> much of the good stuff's already been said enough times. It's time to live it. Come um, on. Maybe he said that in his latest book. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, I I think that's true. You know that. Um, and this is coming back to what you're this is coming back to what you said about like local authorities and their relationship with churches this is what inspires a lot of local authorities whether they're people of belief or not um they think these are people of action they're doing stuff there's life here there's people yes uh, people are gathering and they're not paid to there's something else driving them but i think the gospel not being ashamed of the gospel you know this message that god's the God who created us uh, can redeem us, uh, can yeah. give an affirmation, a liberation. Um, and you know, that just alone, uh, put with skin on and practical ways that people are doing that, showing that in the community. Uh, I think that's where, uh, you know, that's that gets me going. Oh, you know? Yeah, I can hear that. I can hear that. The thing about grace and truth, and honestly, you, you, you've given you've given us um, a gem there. I mean, because that's such, I mean, we hear those words and we go, la, la, yeah, great. But you, you, you've given us, you've given us words to put around those two words. Mm -hmm. the, now, when we talk about truth and having been involved with the recovery course, and, and I'm no doubt you've seen it with those part of the 12 steps things with AA and CA and all the other things. Yeah. When someone is encountered with the truth, and they said, look, okay, your tomorrow is positive. That's not the end of the story. There is hard work to be done yeah. of recalibrating what our yesterday was, 
what our today is and what is tomorrow and what how we think feel and do hope into action a ministry that houses people who were homeless who enter into it all of them i promise you and i can guess that and you'll tell me this are broken people and it's not in any way they're people with with a whole you know plethora of challenges yeah how do you help them how do you help them yeah great question i mean i would say that you know i grew up in an environment where I'd have to make a huge amount of mistakes and problems to end up being homeless because I had yeah. a lot of family, got middle-class background. Uh, I went to the best university in Humberside. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I've got all these kind of things that, and a lot of other people don't have to make many mistakes in order yeah. to end up homeless, you know, because of their situation. Yeah. And the other day I was sitting, uh, talking to one of our Hope Into Action tenants uh, down yeah. uh, on the South Coast. And she yeah. was explaining to me horrific kind of domestic violence that she'd been subject to. She was so scared that when even when she was moved into one of our, our homes, she she spent a lot of time sleeping literally in the wardrobe because she was so oh. felt so unsafe. Goodness me! And she sat explaining to me uh, how the sort of relentless grace and compassion of the church, the the the, the hope interaction teams, all all based in churches and had really made such a difference to her and she said to me this great sentence she said the great thing she said about my empowerment worker a lot of all the hope interaction staff called empowerment workers Brilliant. she said the great thing about my empowerment worker was she didn't just give me a ladder to help me get out of my situation she showed me how to build my own staircase and you know it's a great one line <laughs> but i think that's what that's the answer to your question i think about what we need to be about because it we can serve people we can cook them a meal which is a lovely thing to do i'm involved wednesday night we have a meal at my church with all kinds of people quite a few homeless people come we do cook them a meal it's a nice warm space it's the start of a relationship yeah as that relationship goes on it says in Galatians 6, you know, carry each other's burdens for that fulfills the law of Christ. Mm. So it's wonderful. We've got projects. We've got places where people's burdens can be carried. But then it says just two verses later, um, but each should carry their own load. Yes. And it's it's a brilliant little tension in scripture. Again, you've got the grace of carrying each other's burdens, but you've got the truth that each should carry their own load. And I think that speaks to empowerment because it basically says, yes, be involved in people, get close to people, be compassionate, get in the ditch with them. But you've got to help them build their own staircase. Yeah, you've oh. got to help them um, put, give answers. They've got to find the answers. The kingdom of God is within them to be found. Come on. And, and, and that verse in Galatians 6 ends brilliantly by saying, you know, do not become weary in doing good. Mm. and and underneath your question i think is that probably quite a lot of people fear that oh these people are complicated they're gonna drain me they're gonna ask me what i can't give yeah and i think empowerment is a good focus for our boundaries as well that we don't have to give people everything you know our church can do a meal one one week a night that's okay we don't feel bad for not doing it seven nights a week because that's the start of something 
and we can't become we can't think we're the saviors and and that's the way to become weary and just not get involved so you know boundaries are, are really important um you know we've we've we fulfill the law of christ by helping people but we've got to do it in such a way that they can say now I've, I've built my staircase i've got answers to my problems that i found within me and from others and this is my story i'm owning it john kurt you have no idea how profoundly fantastic we well, probably do but genuinely you know when you put a stake in the ground and he says that was really important mate yeah. genuinely thanks for asking i mean it's all there isn't it you know the the grace and truth i think are these really rich soil you know sometimes social activists can base their activism on a couple of verses maybe sheep and the goats the good samaritan and <laughs> yeah. robbing a bit of isaiah 58 <laughs> and, and that's great but yeah. i think grace and truth is this rich soil where oh, you it's see it all the way through the bible you know you see it all the way through and it's it's clear and I found I mean speaking probably it might be helpful to speak personally because I've obviously got this sort of professional experience but you know just in my own personal life you know with uh, my cousin was a heroin addict for 20 years and the yeah. reason I had a good relationship with him and we stayed in contact was not because I was kinder to him than other people in my family yeah um it, it was mainly because you know I had quite clear boundaries uh with him really that's interesting yeah because you know he addictions are so damaging and so difficult and they can just soak up so much of that kindness that you have yeah. to put boundaries and people listening probably know friends and family with these kind of issues yeah yeah and um you know when i agreed and i made an agreement with him that i'd never ever ever lend him any money yeah actually things like that boundary helped us it helped maintain that that truth helped maintain grace mm. because it meant i was never going to get fed up with him or um and it actually protected our relationship you know and and i i think you know the last thing i want to do is is give anyone the impression obviously this kind of stuff's easy it's terribly difficult but yes yes i think grace and truth can help sustain what we do um, oh. make it make it useful and targeted and yet also not help us not become weary you know, yes doing these things so important how can people find you because i hope interaction i know ed amazing chap um yeah. uh people will want to know a wee bit more about what you do uh, where you work uh, and there will be a few people going yeah i'd like to get involved in this lot Right. Where do we, where right. do we, we find would it? love it. We are looking for more churches to be involved. We're looking for 50 faithful churches over this coming year to okay. sign up. So if you want to do something about homelessness in your community, maybe you've been running a night shelter or these kind of things, and you're looking to get a house in your local community, which is supported by the local church to house people who've been homeless, that is our business. We have, we've attracted over £20 million of investment over the last sort of 13 years where we we have investors often christians but it could be <clears throat> other people who want to put their money you know not just in ices or just store it up in their barns but they want to invest it for social good Beautiful. fantastic so we've got investment available 
So yep. do come and, and approach us. So if you go to hopeintoaction.org.uk, then uh, you'll see all the details about how we run. There's lots of brilliant videos about stories about uh, tenants, uh, like the one I spoke about. Yeah. Um, so it's a really good mix of social investment and empowering approach and utterly, utterly connected to the local church. Um, so that's definitely, yeah, hopeintoaction.org.uk. That would be brilliant to see people. We've got a big conference coming up uh, in the middle of March, March the 16th in, in uh, Peterborough. Oh, yeah. Great speakers. Um, it's, it's a really, you know, I think we've sold 250 tickets, but there's room for more. So it will be great uh, if you want to come to that. On a more personal level, um, I've got a blog called graceandtruth.blog. Uh, so you can you can check that out uh, if, if you're interested <laughs> in some of the things I've been whispering on about. Love that. Well, I'm no doubt you'll get a whole bunch of people uh, visiting both those sites. John, genuinely, uh, that was profoundly beautiful and wonderful and an amazing end to my day. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, blessings on you and this important work and sharing encouragement. Uh, to people out there it's a wonderful thing to to want to put christian faith into action you know my favorite verse yeah. in the bible is you know let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth come and on i think you know actions rooted in the truth of god's love are the most powerful actions we can take um, so that's 1 john 3 18 i think come on i love it thank you great thanks matt so just to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and uh, if you want to catch up with any other episodes do go on to the Anchor Seasoned 4 um, portal and uh, you'll see all of the other episodes that I've done. Also check us out on obviously iTunes through uh, Apple and with your Android and all of your other different places like Spotify that you get to listen to your podcasts. Equally if you are someone who uses Twitter um, we are Seasoned for life and um, we have posts of all sorts there and then this is the next new thing if you're really interested why don't you come and join our learning community it's on Facebook it's a group of people who are asking questions about what does it look like to be seasoned for purpose anyway thanks again for listening and uh, we'll look forward to connecting with you next time <laughs>